What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, What's Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey, today we're going to be interviewing Chad Arnold. He's actually someone that's in our Inner Circle Plus Mastermind. And I, I, his interview reminds me of a quote from Sharad Trivatsa. And Sharad says, the greatest way to building wealth is through owning an operating company. The greatest way to building wealth is through owning an operating company. Let me tell you why that that's so important for us to be focusing on as we go through this podcast interview with Chad is you take a hundred thousand dollars and you go and invest it. And it doesn't matter if it is in a stock market, which we hate it's in real estate or land or any sort of uh, thing that you've heard us talk about on the podcast in a one, two, three year opportunity. What is the hope for that hundred thousand? Is it to double? Oh, that'd be amazing. A hundred percent return. Oh, if it did it over three years, well, I have like a 25 to 30% annual rate of return, right? That, Dave Ramsey is foaming at the mouth for that, right? <laughs> In an operating company, we've already seen it over and over again, where someone took as little as $100,000 and within three years has a company worth $10 million, right? $5 million, $50 million. We've seen all of these examples and that's why that quote is so accurate. The greatest way to building wealth is through owning an operating company. In today's podcast, we're going to break down for you some of the things that Chad and his wife, Tori, were able to do to create an operating company. But Joey, they weren't natural entrepreneurs, were they? Oh, no. And that's what I think that is so uh, great about today's interview that you're going to pick up is maybe you've been mm -hmm. in that position where you're like, man, I get what Russ is saying. I love the idea of an operating company, but it's just, there's too many hurdles in my brain. Like I, I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I have the systems and the processes and the ability to hire and fire and manage and all those things. It just seems overwhelming. Man, he's talking to us about cal taking calculated risks, right? Exactly where you're at right now. He's been there and he took the calculated risks, learning while doing the actual franchise. And, and by the way, it helped to have all those processes and things laid out. And then lastly, how to scale a business to become more hands-free. These are the things you're going to pick up from this interview with Chad. And if you're on that line where you're like, man, I just don't know. I want this operating company. This is the interview for you. And let's not hold anything more back from this interview with Chad Arnold. Let's jump in right now. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, 
and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, so excited to introduce you, Mr. Chad Arnold, Inner Circle Plus member and friend of the show. Chad, so glad to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Man, how old, if you would, just take us back to the moment. It's been a couple of years now where you and your wife are sitting in the store. It's 5 a.m. and you're, it's day one. Talk to me a little bit about what the emotions were like and and what the rest of that day, uh, how it turned out. Man, Russ, you uh, you trying to get me crying right out of the gate? <laughs> yeah, man. I'll just put you right on the spot. Yeah, I, I thought we were going to be talking about my uh, banking policies. Yeah, so this was uh, January 30th, uh, 2021. My wife and I got this crazy idea of starting a coffee shop. It's called Summer Moon here in Oklahoma City. It's the store opened. It's a Saturday. So the store opened about 7 a.m. We'd been plugging it. Didn't know what was going to happen. It was cold. So I remember my wife and I were driving. It's like 5 a.m. We're driving to the store. It's raining outside. Mm. So we're like, oh, no. Nobody's going to be there. We've spent all this money. We've guaranteed this SBA loan. We've guaranteed this lease. Just lots of emotions. So we get there. We turn the lights on. We start setting up. In like literally at like 5:20, we see two people sitting outside in the rain, and uh, that was a that was a shock to us. And it ended up lining. We ended we opened at seven, but the line was wrapped like all the way around the building, probably like two three hundred feet. I mean, we had a line to the door all day long. We broke records uh, with our drive-through and in the lobby. And so after that, we didn't think we were going to be opening multiple stores, but after that went so well, that's when we were like, all right, we've done this. That was really hard, but now we know what to do. Let's do it again. That's so, that's so awesome. Amazing. All right. So I, I do want to take people, I know we just jumped right into that moment, but man, I, I feel like it, hearing that story and I've heard you share it once before, just like all of those opportunities and all of the things that you thought, man, that this could go bad. Right. And the internal head trash we have. Was did you come out of like having an entrepreneur family? Like, w- did you know that? Hey, I know that it can g- be rough, but we're gonna have success because I've seen this model so many times in my life. Or talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, no, I I, I grew up in Mustang, Oklahoma, just a suburb of Oklahoma City. So my mom's an attorney, family lawyer, but she's done well. But she's looked at it more of like a ministry. It was never like a like this huge profit machine for her. Um, she did well. My dad was in sales, so he's always worked for a company. In fact, they thought we were a little bit crazy when we told them, you know, what we were, what we were planning on doing. So definitely we didn't see that growing up, like this entrepreneurial spirit. Well, and you, but you had done something that wasn't always franchises before that. What was, what was your kind of work history up to that point? Out of college, I worked in finance at an oil and gas uh, company here in Oklahoma City. I was an analyst. And then I just could not, I did not like being at a desk all day, but I had a great job. And then I decided I was going to go sell mortgages, which I think, Joey, you used to do that as well. So I, I went and sold mortgages and my parents thought I was crazy when I did that. And then I ended up working for a developer, my dad's friend, 
And that's ultimately what led us to finding this site. It was one of his property. So talk about that. I mean, I think the person listening right now who maybe says, hey, I, I don't like working my desk job, but that's just all I know because that's what I went to school for. Like you, you went, got a finance degree and and, and, and they just stayed in that, uh, you know, industry that they were educated in. What what were some of those things? How did you stumble upon this? And what were some of those early steps that confirmed um, that you guys were making the right um, decision? Basically, basically what happened was we had this new development, new retail center right on the corner of the turnpike and a highway, great visibility. And I, so in college, I would go to Starbucks at like 5.30, right when they opened, every morning. And I would do my homework, do a Bible study. I always loved Starbucks. And I just loved being there. Well, I was responsible for leasing that property. And I remember I was just hounding Starbucks, like, please come to the site. Please come to the site. So finally got their attention. I mean, I worked literally a year and a half getting there. And we got an LOI signed, a letter of intent. And we thought it was going to happen. The lease was out for signatures. And they ended up backing out because there wasn't a signal to the to that development. There was a signal like, I don't know, a couple blocks down. So the Department of Transportation said, no, no signal here. So Starbucks backed out of it. And I remember talking to my wife, like when we were drafting the lease, I was like, this is so cool. Like how full circle is this? Like I, I was studying in college at Starbucks and now I'm about to do a deal with Starbucks. Like I was over the moon happy. And so whenever we found out the lease wasn't going to happen, I was pretty deflated. My brother called me. He was like, hey, there's this place called Summer Moon in Houston. It's right by my house. It's amazing. You should call them. And I was like, okay, I'll call them. So I, I, I shot them an email. I was like, hey, any interest in OKC? And they responded like, yeah, we'd love to. Uh, do you want to be the franchisee? And I was like, no. Like, I was hoping you'd open a corporate store here. So then I get home, and I remember talking to Tori on my back porch. And she was like, let's do it. Why don't, why don't we do that? And that's kind of how it all came and went. And we didn't have a clue what we were doing. Uh, but the whole time, you know, our prayer was like, hey, Lord, just open doors that need to be opened. And then if we don't need to do this, just slam this on our face shut. And every step we took, the doors just kept opening. And I think that's that's kind of the message to those that maybe we are watching this and like, hey, I don't like my desk job, but I want to do something. Well, it's not. I, I think in life we can force stuff like we can just search best franchises in the nation and, and force ourselves into a model. But the fact is I, we were not looking for anything. Um, we knew we wanted more in our life, but we didn't know what that looked like. And it, like, you know, God's provision, it kind of just fell on our lap and us. And, 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 and another thing. So it's like, I thought that Starbucks doing the deal with Starbucks was full circle. Right. But it's like God had so much bigger plans for Tori and I, and it, it just worked out amazing. And then on top of that, Tori's never liked coffee. And I've always told her like, hey, like you would be the perfect woman if you and I could go to a coffee shop and drink a latte together and just hang out. <laughs> and now she owns a coffee shop. It's pretty funny. Um, and she actually drinks the coffee. She she likes it that much. She's got to put a little sugar, a little honey in there, but um probably the the rust method over the, the joey method but that's right that's right all right so if you didn't already love him because he sold mortgages i mean let's just let's just yeah say that 
really special people have sold mortgages. Let, I mean, just going to put that out there. I want to pick something out that maybe most people would miss. Talk about how powerful it is for you and your spouse to be aligned with something right out of the gate like this. Like when you talk to your wife and she says, let's do it. Like, what does that do to that, to your marriage and to you as a man, like hearing your wife say that, like, I have experience like that, but I would love to hear yours um, before we get to some of the more nitty gritty about the actual franchise. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. That's probably one of my favorite things about her is like, I think a lot of times you have couples like one is super loves risk and the other does not. But I would argue she's not as risky as me, but she's close to it. And I think the whole attitude is like, all right, if we fail, we'll learn from it. And we'll, and, and we tell each other, it's like, all right, if we go bank shot, bankrupt next week, like, all right, we'll, we'll get back up and we'll go again. You know, we'll figure it out. It's just part of it. It's kind of a, hate to say it, but it's kind of a big game, you know, and try not to get too emotional about it. And another example is I was talking to the land geek because y'all plugged them and I called them and they're like, yeah, it's going to be X amount of dollars. And I mean, it's a lot, but what you get, it's definitely worth it. And I remember calling her being like, uh, I don't know if she's going to go for this. And I called her. She's like, yeah, go for it. I'm like, wow. Like, that's amazing. Where most couples, it's probably like this conflict. And um, so that's just never been the case with us, thankfully. Well, I, I know that both of your backgrounds come from competitive sports, right? I think you play golf. Is that correct? Yeah, and she played volleyball. And played volleyball. Yeah. So that competitive nature, I think you have you probably utilized that a lot throughout your work history, but also just all things, right? We have to we have to improve. We know that we're going to require coaching. It's going to require us to continue to learn from the mistakes that we make. I think that being competitive is the thing that maybe is the the common bond that entrepreneurs have, even though that you guys wouldn't have probably saw yourself early on, as you said, as entrepreneurs right. I, here, I would love for us to get into this uh, a little deeper because for, for the person listening who maybe has thought about uh, franchise as an option, we've had uh, several uh, conversations with people who are in the franchise space on the, on the show in the past. I'd love to know maybe some of those biggest lessons that you've learned uh, after becoming a franchisee, right? So some of the things, one, you had to do in order to get there and some of the things that you did, right? Like that that has helped you become successful. And then maybe we could have some of those, like here's a lesson that, I, you know, looking back on it now that I'm uh, opening more stores and understanding more about it, I probably would have done this differently or I would know that this would have happened and been more prepared for it. So let, let's start from the very beginning. Like, what were some of the early things that you had to do um, and and boxes you had to check off in order to to move forward with summer mood? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the biggest one for me was Tesla. They came out with a Model 3. I forget when it came out, but they announced it. And typically, typical Elon fashion, it took like four years to arrive. But I was on the waiting list out of the gate. And I got the car. And y'all are like, where, where are you going with this? So I got the car and I loved it. It was my favorite car I've ever had. But whenever we were like, hey, we're going to do this franchise thing, it was like, all right, we got to sell the Tesla, you know, which is like hindsight. I'm so glad I did. But to me, it was like, man, I'm making a sacrifice here. I think I bought like a, I think I bought like a 2000 Jeep Wrangler or something after that. And 
drove it around, you know, but that was a sacrifice that I was willing to make because I knew that's what I needed to do to, to have capital and to look pretty to the bank. But so we, we've used the SBA for all of our financing. Uh, we don't own any of our locations, so we just have leases and I have a background in leasing. So that wasn't a huge step for us, but for those that have never franchised, that would probably be a big step. So my recommendation is like hire a broker to represent you. The landlord will pay their fee um, and they'll be able to help you navigate that lease. And then I would just work through the SBA, work through your local bank to get an SBA loan. But man, there's so many different things like insurance and workers comp and sales tax and taxes and just all these things you don't think about. And I remember- I'm sorry, Chad, let me me break in. Break in for just a second. Before you get to those things, talk about like obviously the part of the story we know up to this point is you had this vacancy. You go to them, they say, hey, "Do you want to be a franchisee?" What due diligence did you have to do oh, yeah. besides like, "Oh, we have a willing person that wants to come in this spot." But how did you know? Like, what steps did you take to make sure that you knew it was a good fit for you guys to take this to take this on? Yeah, sure. So we. We had obviously never had the product. So we went down, there's a store in Dallas and this was like May or June of 20. So everybody, you know, COVID was still really relevant. And I remember they had a tent in their back, the back of the shop set up. So nobody's going inside. No, no, it was July. Cause I remember how hot it was. And it was a Sunday afternoon. We're like, Hey, let's just try it. If it's horrible. Well, there's a closed door. Right. So we get out there and there's literally like 15, 20 people standing waiting at like two o'clock on a Sunday in July. And one of the guys next to us, I, I was like, is this that good? You know, trying to get some intel. And he's like, well, I drive 40 minutes to get the beans. And I was like, wow, you know, like, okay, that that's a good sign. And the store the we knew that store had done really well. It was in Frisco. Um, and then after that, we went to Austin, we met the family. So we were the, actually the first franchisees. Um, and obviously this was our first franchise business that we'd done. So I, I'd love to tell you that we did all this due diligence, um, but we didn't, we just kind of went with our gut, which may or it, it turned out to be the right decision. Um, it could have bit us, but again, we just went to the stores. We met the family, we called other franchisees and just kind of talked to them about it. And basically our question was like, Hey, if you could do this again, would you do it? And their answer was yes. So Um, We just kind of were led to believe that this is a good idea and that's how it went. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. So let me ask you this. You said you were the first franchisees. What you're talking about in Oklahoma? No, for the brand. 
or period. Okay, so then who? What other franchisees were you talking to? About? Uh, yeah, sorry, uh, we were talking to licensees. So, oh, okay, okay, I didn't understand that. Sorry. Yeah, my bad. So there was there were other licensees, and then they decided to get into the full franchise model. And so we knew it was going to be very similar to a licensee's experience. Gotcha. Okay. So you're taking the tour, you're meeting the, the key people involved in the brand. Um, you're at least looking at the licensing model and seeing how this could apply to the franchise model from a financial standpoint. Um, like what, what was the, what was your vision of what this could become in terms of the financial side where you just like, well, Hey, in five years, we're going to start making some money or like, was there, was there a vision of it? It's going to be a lot faster than that. What was, what was your experience like in that side of things? Yeah. And that's honestly, that's one of the hard things about franchises is they don't just right out of the gate, tell you what you can expect. They'll just give you a bunch of averages. And I, th I think for legal reasons, they don't give me those numbers. So I kind of had an idea what the store would do. And I tried to be super conservative. And this, again, this wasn't like, hey, let's go open 20 of these things. It was, hey, let's go open one. My wife, she had Lincoln and she was pregnant with a while at the time. So like this, will, she was kind of ready to get out of the house a little bit. So like, this will be her baby. This will be something she can work on. And it, it just, it exceeded our expectations. And and you had, you asked the question earlier of, you know, what would you do differently? What I would do differently is if I went and got a franchise I would, I would try to sign a deal for at least five or maybe four, because after you do one, you just learn so much. You would be silly not to do more. And then the more you open them, the more you're able to scale and put the right people in the right positions to where you don't have a job. If you have one, you basically created a job for yourself. Yeah, so yeah, talk about that because you just mentioned that your wife who had two small, really small children at the time was like, yeah, ready to get out of the house and uh, run a business. Talk about yeah. what that, what that time allotment looked like. What sort of time was she putting into the business? What sort of time were you putting into it? Yeah. So she, I had still had my, you know, eight to five full-time job. So she was definitely running the stores and still is running the stores. But whenever that store opened, she was working, I mean, leading up to it, she was working tons of hours. And I, I mean, we would bring the pack and play up to the space and put them in the bathroom and let them take their naps in there and just kind of made it happen, you know, but uh, after the stores open, she'll work a lot for like a month. And then we really just lean on that manager. And so starting out, it was a lot, but after our fourth store in March, uh, we, we hired to us, what is our integrator? Uh, if you read rocket fuel. So basically his name is Jared and we just lean on him heavily and we have 70 employees now and, they all report to their manager and the managers report to him and then he reports to her. I'm not really in the day to day. I, I'm more on like the development side where I sign new leases and I go get the financing and I, I take care of the books and the payroll. So, so the, the financial part, this is something that, you know, we, we probably want to get in a little deeper, right? You said, Hey, we kind of, we didn't have a whole lot of examples to go by and but we did ask the licensee, which would be similar to a franchisee. Obviously, they they have experience selling the product. And was there any financial discussions there other than, hey, would you do this again? Did you guys talk about money at all and kind of 
the the profit model and the profit margins in this business? Yeah, I mean, not I tried not to do it like out of the gate. I didn't want to be the guy. I was like, hey, how much money are you making? You know, after we talked to them a few times, it was like, hey, can you give us an idea based on this location what we should do in sales? And then can you kind of give us an idea of what net profit percentage or what we should expect after everybody's paid, franchise is paid, and and they did share that with us. And, and clearly, th that was a, enough to say, yeah, this is a great opportunity for uh, my wife Tori to be able to be able to do this, enjoy this, and it still be beneficial for our family. Absolutely. And all right, I, I want to dive into you talked about scaling, and I think that that's a, an amazing topic that we should always think about is if we're going to do it once the lessons we learn then assuming that it's working then we there's no reason why we shouldn't scale i've heard uh, some of our you know people in the real estate industry say the dumbest mistake i make is buy one house i need to buy a hundred right like I, i've got to find a way to scale because at scale then you can do things that you couldn't do as one so Talk a little bit about scaling. Talk about uh, about adding extra stores with the franchise. Like, are you committing to what? What does that even look like? Yeah. So when we opened the, like I said, when we opened the first one, it was like, hey, let's just open this one, and you know, had no clue what we were doing. But we, what one thing I kept telling myself, and this is for those that are like thinking about doing something like this, it's like, look around you, wherever you're driving, there's hundreds of businesses. And I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I can figure it out and they all figured it out. And so it's kind of like, you just got to take the risks and go for it. But for us, we want to get our number right now is 20. So we want to get to 20 stores and we might get to 10 and be like, Hey, we're stopping at 10. We might get to 10 and be like, all right, let's do a hundred. I, I, we just don't know what that looks like yet, but we're hiring to get to that number. So we've hired our integrator. We have a full-time handyman. You just kind of learn like what's the, our biggest need right now is like handyman stuff. Cause we have all this equipment stuff breaks all the time. And so we've hired that to alleviate We're we're setting it up to where my wife and I, we can leave for a month and the thing spends like a top. Um, that's just kind of our goal. And we know that we're a little top heavy, but we're willing to, to have, larger expenses for our time and and for it to be more passive so i i love that by the way um i i keep telling russ that he needs to leave for months um and it'll really help our business but you talk about this hiring process and it's just kind of like easy like yeah we just hire we've scaled we've got this integrator for somebody who's never hired before like you guys went from hey we're not entrepreneurs to now we own, you know, five stores and we want to continue to grow. Talk about like, was it the franchise model that made that part easy? Or was it just something that you've learned just on your own hiring, firing, that kind of thing is, it could be overwhelming to somebody that's never done it. Talk about that process and what you've learned from that. Yeah. Uh, thankfully I don't do any of the hiring or firing, uh, Tori and our, our integrator, Jarrett, they do most of that, but we pay, I pay payroll every week and I see those numbers, but it's kind of one of those things. Like if I can hire a handyman and pay him X amount of money and then know it's going to free me up to go and build other stores. That's just a way better use of my time um, for me personally. And so it is a bit scary when you bring that new salary on 
But then after you after you've paid them for a few months and you realize how much more freed up you are, you quickly realize the benefit of it. And and honestly, thankfully, we've had really good luck with our employees. We don't have a ton of turnover. Obviously, there naturally is because most of the most of them are in high school or college, and so. But we haven't had a whole lot of turnover. But my wife, she handles that, and that's one of the the hardest parts of the job is letting someone go. It's not fun. So, I I do want to talk a little bit about that because I know that labor is the hardest part in in this. You're in a service industry, right? So you're dealing with with younger people, and you know, talk a little bit about that. I think that that is a, I know that you're not the one hiring and necessarily firing, but you're, you're in those discussions. I guarantee you're in those discussions. Yeah. And to me, I find it really interesting that you have scaled up to so many people and have been able to retain people. What are some of those things that you, maybe you think that you guys are doing right that maybe some others have failed in? Because you see, like I had a, a friend uh, they they owned a kind of a service based business, and that was always the biggest struggle they would talk about. Is like, man, I feel like I'm having to work in the store so much because I can't keep people um, showing up to work on time, coming to work ever, and and hiring enough people uh, to count for the people who are leaving. Yeah, uh, thankfully, like retention's been great. One of the things we did earlier this year, there's an app called Motivosity, and basically it's a generosity app, and so it's like. We're trying to create a culture of generosity. And so every month, uh, every employee gets five bucks, which it's not a lot, but it's kind of like a little social media where they can be like, hey, Joey, great job last night, deck brushing. Here's a dollar. Or, hey, Russ, thanks for helping me close. Or thanks for helping me, you know, unbox the milk. Here's a dollar. And so like if I were to log on right now, there's literally at least 10 of those a day. And so it's just created a culture of gratitude. And so that, that's really what we're after. We don't, we don't want them to dread coming to work. So we just, we don't, we don't do negativity, just try to keep it really positive. Um, and then we also do, we have events like three times a year where we'll shut the stores down early and we'll go to a baseball game or we'll have a Christmas party or I don't know. We just, we just want it to be different. And so, yeah, that's kind of how we've approached it. That's super cool. All right. I, I know we were running out of time and I appreciate you jumping on here with us to, to share this, what would be one of those main benefits that you would say that you've enjoyed as a franchisee as compared to starting a business from scratch? Ours was kind of a blend because we were the franchisee, but they had the recipes. Um, they told us what purchase of sales or point of sale system to use, uh, what scheduling system to use. They just kind of, and, and they had a brand behind it. So when we opened, people knew what it was. And we instantly had a draw. And so to me, that's the the biggest thing about a franchise is you're 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 really buying the brand and you're you're buying the audience. And so that's the that's the that's what I like about franchises. Now I will say we wouldn't have done just a coffee franchise if it was just coffee and there was nothing that separated it. Ours has we we roast our beans a certain way and we have moon milk and no one else has moon milk. And so I would look for some kind of differential to other companies. What's going to separate you? Yeah, that that's super helpful to to see. Like, if you've been in that boat and you've been thinking, "Am I an entrepreneur?" and you're on that line, maybe just some of the things Chad's sharing about a franchise model. We've heard from people who sell franchises, right? And it's always going to be like, "Man, this is a great thing." <laughs> it's hard yeah. for them not to say that. 
but to to have your experience, Chad, I think is super valuable for people to to see behind the curtain that experience. And now the fact that you're wanting to scale to such a big number just tells you the power of, of leveraging that franchise model. Um, before we go, I wanted to I didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk about like your experience with Wealth Without Wall Street. What was it that brought you into the community and um, we can talk a little bit more about like maybe what you've done so far and what you're kind of seeing the future look like. So I actually, we go to Kauai. We have some friends in Kauai. It's like our favorite place. We, and I was there last year and I, I remember just like sitting on a deck on my phone being like, okay, I know I want to build a house out here. It's not a matter of if it's when, like, how am I going to make this happen? And I came across infinite banking. So I started Googling it and you all were in an article. I don't know what article it was, but I clicked on it. I booked a consultation and, uh, Ernie took care of me. Um, and so ever since then I've been part of the inner circle plus, and I'm not able to make every call, but just, just having access to the WhatsApp and being on the calls and literally at any time of the day, being able to submit a question, it's, it's been awesome. And we, we talk about this a lot in our community about your right next thing right? We all have a, a thing that we need to be working on. The problem is, is that when we don't have focus toward one thing, uh, we end up making no progress. And, and whenever you jump on a call with one of our coaches, they, they walk you through this process. So for you, what is that right next thing for you that you and Tori are working on right now? Yeah, it's our, it's our uh, taxes and our structure. That's super cool to know that, that that's the specific thing that you've got to be fixing. And it sounds like that makes sense if you all now, uh, four and about to open up your fifth uh, store, uh, taxes are going to be a big issue in uh, making sure all the entities and everything are structured in a way to protect you. And as you get ready to build uh, the house, that, by the way, have we talked about my room inside that house shed in Kauai? No, we, we need to talk about that. I've been, yeah. I've been meaning to call you. Are you a fan of Kauai, Russ? I thought I saw that. Well, we'll talk about that on another thing. Kauai, maybe not so much. I, I have some unfortunate events with Kauai that we've decided <laughs> that maybe not Kauai. But either way, I know your wife is interior designer background. And, you know, we yeah. talk about the, the color scheme of the room. Okay. So, got it. <laughs> Man. Hey, it's Kauai, yeah, Oklahoma is a beautiful place. Huh? <laughs> it is. Oh. Yeah. Oh man, I, man, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time. I mean, I think we're going to title this the providential entrepreneur because just listening to the story of how you guys, how God opened the door for you and, and you just kept listening to him along the way. And just that this is something that you and your wife are doing that's bringing you closer together that now your boys are going up in this and they're seeing kind of how mom and dad work together, how they do life together and the opportunities that this will open up doors for them and uh, what, what will happen over their lives because of it. And I know we're all blessed to have heard the stories as well, man. Thank you for coming on and sharing it with us. Thank, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, we appreciate you listening. Hope you had uh, as much fun as we did listening to Chad. Uh, if you or someone you know has been thinking about starting a business, hating their job and uh, and working kind of in the, the normal grind and thinking, man, maybe there's a better opportunity. Share this podcast with them. This is something uh, that maybe uh, would be a blessing to them. As always, have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.